Thanks for listening to this week's edition of Caged, where we'll be discussing UFC 244, news and notes around the UFC, and we'll be looking ahead into what is going to be going down in the octagon in the future. Without further ado, I'm going to send you over to the house and the lieutenant in this week's newest edition of Caged. Welcome back to another exciting segment giving you the latest in UFC. I'm the Lieutenant. I'm Shay, the House Grigsby. And you're listening to Caged. Today we're going to be uh, giving you fight recaps from UFC 244, as well as looking ahead at the latest news around the UFC, uh, hype surrounding UFC 245, and we're going to be giving you our personal number 10 favorite UFC fighter of all time, as well as looking ahead to Fight Night 163 in Moscow. All right, so without further ado, we're going to get into UFC 244. Yep. Um, so the number three fight on this card was Derek Lewis uh, going up against Blagoy Ivanov. Um, this was a very exciting fight. Um, I know we predicted, I predicted Lewis to take this fight. Uh, and I'm eating p- humble pie all day. I was wrong <laughs> on all three accounts. Aaron Rodgers Jr. But, so, I took Lewis. Um, I didn't think the fight was going to go the way it went. Uh, I thought Lewis was going to get a knockout victory. Um, a few days before the, or not a few days, but a week-ish before the fight, right after we recorded our segment, there was a news line that came out saying that Derek Lewis was at 260 pounds already. Um, and typically at that time he would be at 280 to 290 and having to cut weight. So he came in extremely, uh, in shape, uh, which was very, very crucial to, uh, this fight. He I, was, say, I was happy to see it. Yeah. He, happy to see it. He I'm, ended up getting the win, um, re- uh, through three rounds via decision and he hired, uh, what was it? Uh, tra- like uh, a, a nutritionist. Meal, uh, yeah, yeah. That's what it was. Nutritionist. He hired a nutritionist, uh, got him cut down. He was working on his fight, his game plan, rather than worried about making weight. So, I mean, all the focus was really towards the fight. Uh, he was the underdog. He was plus 150-ish on the book. Um, I thought he was going to get a knockout victory, but I think really due to his uh, fitness, he was able to last. He wasn't Walter able to Hans. knock Ivanov out you know he has a pretty strong chin and he showed that uh but he he lasted the whole fight uh he worked him um the game or the fight went to the ground uh quite often Ivanov was three of six for his takedowns and Derek Lewis was one of three so both of the fighters tried to uh take the fight to the deck or take the fight to the ground Ivanov landed more total strikes um at 61 uh, in comparison to Lewis is 32, but 31 of Lewis's 32 were significant strikes. So with those heavy hands, he was able to employ a lot of damage. Um, he was able to control, um, Ivanov attempted a submission that yeah, so the fight was everywhere. Yeah. That Lewis was able to get out of, uh, Derek Lewis actually had two reversals, uh, on the ground also. So that's extremely important when it comes to into the factor of making the decision on the scorecard, who won the fight or not. Um, with this fight, I really think it was all about Derek Lewis and his pre-fight uh, mentality, his pre-fight focus. Uh, I think that's where he won the fight here. Yeah, and, uh, you know, to uh, to kind of save myself a little bit, uh, that was my one knock on Derek Lewis. I didn't think that he was going to be taking was, his, his yeah. health serious. and was like, both his of our knocks on him. Uh, and that's ultimately why I gave the nod to to Ivanov. I thought that he was going to come in as the better, as the more in shape fighter. And as soon as we wrapped up uh, our podcast last week, uh, the news broke that he had hired a nutritionist and yeah. he was the lightest he had ever been. And I was like, oh fuck! Like, like he's <laughs> going to win this fight now. And like a, the second them. we were done, I was like, all right, well, I'm eating my words already. <laughs> uh, so at least I. At least I was full by the time the, the fight yeah. got around. Exactly. One of my buddies texted me and was like, who should I throw money on tonight on these UFC fights? I'm like, hammer Derek Lewis. He's coming in in shape. It's over. Uh, <laughs> I don't know if you read the same article as me. Uh, 
when he was talking about his nutritionist, but he said that uh, he was firing him after Saturday because Popeye's uh, was bringing back the chicken sandwich on Sunday. <laughs> and he said he didn't want to uh, listen to him and be like, now you know you shouldn't be eating that. He said, nah, shut the fuck up. I'll hire you on Monday. <laughs> That's the most Derek Lewis thing I ever heard in my life. I, d- dude's right. He's hilarious. <laughs> He's comedy. Uh, <clears throat> we're going to be talking about uh, like what he said a little bit earlier, uh, or a little bit later, rather. Uh about what he said post-fight about uh, Greg Hardy and a possible fight between them two. Uh, we'll get yeah. to that a little bit later, though. Mm-hmm. Uh, so to look ahead at our next fight, the co-main event of UFC 245 between Kelvin Gastelum and Darren Till. Till making his middleweight debut. Yeah, this was a really interesting fight. Um, obviously, we both thought Gastelum was going to take the fight easily. Yeah, but, I mean, like, you look at that fight against Adesanya, and that, like, that was a fucking war. Exactly. I mean, he he came out, it was almost like he, it was almost like Till was, well, Till was applying the pressure, for sure. It was it was fairly back and forth. All right, they both had their moments, for Definitely. Sure. Gastelum uh, landing 50 strikes in comparison to Till's 37. 40 of those being significant for Gastelum, and 36 of those 37 being significant for Till. So, Till was probably the more productive fighter. Um, They each had a takedown. Uh, Gastelum attempted four. Till attempted two. Yeah, early in that first round, they were uh, really working in the clinch, trying to uh, feel each other's wrestling abilities out. There was quite a bit of takedowns. Uh, They They both had that kind of background, so they were... Right, they were getting physical. Later on in the fight, um, it kind of transitioned more into a stand-up game. Uh, I think that's when Till was uh, able to apply pressure. If you if you watch recaps of the fight and such, um, or watch a rerun of the fight, you can see that Till is frequently moving forward and had a reach advantage. Yeah, so he had um, the length on him, and Gaston was constantly trying to find his range yeah, and really just couldn't. Exactly. He was just he was off beat a little bit. Uh, it, it's weird to think about, too, because you think of Israel Adesanya and Kevin Gastelum. Obviously, Israel has an extreme link advantage, link, yeah, length advantage, as does Till. But he was able to step in. He was able to find his shots. Um, in this fight, Till just... It, it's like Gastelum didn't know what was coming, and he was, like, worried about Till's, uh, you know what I mean, one-punch ability. Um, yeah, and, I mean, we almost saw it. Like, I mean, Gastelum yeah. obviously... Uh, Having fought against Adesanya in his previous fights has shown that like he can take he can take a shot and keep on pushing forward. Uh, Till was uh, coming at him with that left, uh, but I mean yeah. G- Gaslam, I mean hats off to him. Uh, just kept on pressing it forward, trying to trying to work in, trying to find his game, and Till ultimately showing that like he was he's able to to handle the the weight class change. Yeah, this was a this was a big statement fight for uh, Darren Till. Um, I think he's a, he looks like really a better fighter at this weight division in my opinion. Um he's he's long, he uh utilized his length. Um I'm excited to see who he signs for his next fight. Um but overall it was a big statement win for Darren Till and uh Kevin Gaslam's definitely going to have to reboot um He's going to have to find that distance again. He's going to have to get in the gym and come back and get a big win. Yeah, after what has been a down year, although right. against great competition. Definitely, he's been fighting good competition, but he needs to find himself again. Uh, I think he schedules a fight where he knows he can win coming up. Uh, that's just my opinion. That's what I think he needs to do uh, personally, just for the mentality factor of being a fighter. Um, you can't just keep losing and walk in with the same confidence it's it's a big mental game and uh but i mean we have to remember this was a split decision victory right so, right I mean, not all the judges saw it exactly the same uh i can i can see where the argument lies for for gaston to have won this fight but i mean till uh ultimately was the winner he looked a little bit better looked a, a step quicker uh and what's crazy about him is like you were looking like i was looking at him in the ring i don't know how this guy was a welterweight that's what I'm saying. I'm and moving like into into middleweight uh, territory. He looks like he could be like damn near a light heavyweight. With yeah, the, for sure. He's the he, range that he has. Exactly. On his body. He's a big build for sure. Um, he was very linky at welterweight. Uh, put on some meat. He looks good as a middleweight fighter. It's crazy. He uh, he actually weighed in at the 
uh, middleweight limit of 186 instead of 185. Mm-hmm. Like, they give you that extra pound. So he weighed in damn near pushing at that, like, uh, almost overweight for moving up the weight class. So it's, it's just the amount of, like, mass that he can carry on his body or could carry on his body. Right. It's interesting to see where his career goes going forward. And another interesting thing about this fight, I thought that uh, when I listened to the judges, if you look at the scorecards, it, one of the judges had scored at 30-27 Gastelum. And yeah. then twenty eight twenty seven two and then thirty twenty seven two. Um I don't think Gastelum won all three rounds whatsoever. Uh but I just thought that was fairly interesting that one judge had Gastelum winning the whole fight. And so there's a judge um, out there that does. Right, and that's uh that's all perspective based and you know, the UFC has its way of judging, uh, control, you know what I mean, significant strikes, the damage, all those play a factor into ultimately the final score of um, the round. So. And, you know, I don't, I don't want to protect uh, the UFC because, you know, I'm I'm very pro-anarchy, but uh, <clears throat> it is also different when you see a fight or when you see any sporting event really live mm-hmm. as opposed to on right. TV. It might right. look a little bit different. Absolutely. And, I mean, Darren Till... Uh, he wasn't terrible, like, on the ground, and within the grappling aspect of it, he had one pass uh, reversal, and, you know, um, he was holding his own in there, but um, ultimately, it's a subjective perspective from each of the judges, and I think the fighter who won, uh, I think that was the right decision, and respectively, I think I think the fight was close enough where Gaslam could have got a judge's score. I don't think 30-27. I think 29-28. But um, I don't know. It ended up finishing the way that it should have, in my opinion. Uh, it was an all-around good fight. It was a dog fight. I mean, these guys were throwing hands, uh, doing damage to each other. Um, two very tough guys. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Uh, I look forward to seeing... Darren Till's uh, middleweight career and how that goes. Hopefully he can be uh, just as, if not more, successful <clears throat> than he was in the welterweight division. Right. So uh, before we get into uh, our main event, yeah. we're going to welcome on a very special guest to us. Uh, great, uh, great friend of, of both of ours and uh, creator of Inside the White Lines podcast, uh, Tyler Pearson. So we're going to go grab him and we'll be right back. Don't go, don't go anywhere. You're listening to Cage. All right, we are back with our good friend and creator of the Inside the White Lines podcast, Tyler Pearson. What's up, Tyler? How's it going, guys? How's it going, Tyler? Uh, glad to have you here today. Oh, man, I love what you guys do here. You guys got me really pumped for this uh, Masvidal-Diaz uh, fight, and I was, I'm was really excited just to be here and talk about this. So, Yeah, all right, Thank so you. without further ado, we're going to get into it. Uh, Jorge Masvidal versus Nate Diaz. Uh, the battle for the baddest motherfucker in the game belt uh, presented by Dwayne The Rock Johnson. It was really hyped, really talked about. Uh, I was really excited to, to see and to watch it. Uh, unfortunately, not the not the end that we wanted to see, uh, but <clears throat> still a, a great fight. So if you want to like break it down round by round, uh, the first round, uh, both guys really came out swinging. Yeah, I mean, uh, the thing that really got me about this was Masvidal's like energy and psychotic nature where it was almost every time Diaz hit him that he even got like more like come on let's go like yeah he, you he could tell he was really done. excited he was like yeah come on come on <laughs> he was all about it man I, th- I think this fight's interesting uh they definitely both came out uh dick swinging uh throwing heavy hands uh Masvidal didn't seem to be phased by Diaz's uh shit talk or any kind of psychological games he was trying to pull before this fight and uh hats off to him i'm actually extremely happy to see uh um if we can i'll list off some of the stats here so uh we can get caught up um so jorge masvidal 114 uh total strikes 112 of those being significant that is um a very very impressive number uh, Nate Diaz's had 125 strikes, 43 of them 
coming uh, via significant strike. Uh, Masvidal had one takedown. He attempted it once. Um, it was 100%. Nate Diaz attempted two takedowns, was rejected both times. Uh, and Jorge Masvidal had two knockdowns in this fight. Yeah. So, so uh, do we want to talk about that early knockdown uh, that we saw? <coughs> Pearson, you want to give us uh, your perspective on it? I mean, the early knockdown, what really kind of got me was like, because I, I knew coming into it that Masvidal was obviously the bigger uh, power guy. He had a lot of strength right. into it, had the, you know, the five-second knockouts, also had that hype surrounding that this was a guy that ended fights early. So the, the early knockdown didn't necessarily surprise me, but what did surprise me was just how it seemed like Diaz was was just like allowing himself to just get pummeled in a in a way that I thought Diaz would not be like destroyed as well as much as he was because Masvidal was really getting on him early on, and I mean the first knockdown I mean was I think surprising me with how early it was. Right. Right. Uh, one thing <clears throat> that I will say, just having uh, seen both of these fighters, uh, although I don't necessarily like it, that is kind of their fighting styles. Uh, Jorge Masvidal uh, wants to pour it onto you early uh, and like kind of get you uh, outside of your own head game, uh, like early in the fight, and like just kind of decimate you as the fight goes on. Uh, whereas Diaz somehow always seems to like lose the first two rounds of a fight. Uh, and find some way to turn it around. That's uh, that's kind of been his his uh, niche to being uh, considered one of the baddest motherfuckers in the game. Is that he will get down early, but he never gets discouraged. He always stays in his game, and he always finds a way to pull it out in the end. Uh, the two styles matched up, and Masvidal ended up winning it, although in controversial fashion. Uh, you can I, say that again. I. I don't see how you can have a battle for the baddest motherfucker and have it be stopped by a doctor. <laughs> yeah. That that, point. That's, that's pretty ridiculous. Um, granted, Nate Diaz bleeds uh, very, very easily. He always has. Um, but give it to Jorge Masvidal. Uh, I mean, he landed a vicious elbow. An absolutely vicious elbow. Yeah, but he was very precise. He looked good. And man. he, and he, he got him early. And he just destroyed that eyebrow of Diaz. I mean, it really didn't look good. What we saw a picture of it. How many stitches was it? Uh, yeah, it, was, it looked like it was like twenty or yeah, thirty. Yes, it was. It was like probably twenty, twenty-five in there. But uh, what the like people that were uh, covering it was saying was the uh, Tyson Fury fight. I mm-hmm. forget who he was fighting. That required twenty more stitches yeah. than Diaz's cut, but was not stopped. Right. So and just more into the controversy of, of it all. And we talked about Masvidal coming out uh, extremely, like, hyped, high energy. Uh, and we we kind of saw him wear down in the third round. Um, I noticed so I guess, that, too. Yeah. So, I guess uh, just what do you guys think would have happened if this fight um, would have played on? Do you think the experience of Diaz would have? taken the fight in the later rounds or do you think Jorge Masvidal would have kept applying the pressure to Diaz and um, kept attacking that cut uh, Lewis I want to hear what you have to say and then I'll go uh, yeah I mean that kind of alludes to my earlier point of uh, Diaz's fighting style of, right. of turning things around right. uh, in that third round uh, I would almost argue that that Diaz won that third round right yeah uh, he he was able to turn things around there was a point at which uh I think he stunned Masvidal. Maybe he wasn't wobbly, but he definitely got a good shot in on him. And the momentum was swinging that other way. And we see momentum in in all sports, but mm-hmm. especially in the UFC. One big shot can turn the entire fight around for you, and like anything, anything goes. Uh, and we like that's just great uh, fighting uh, from from Diaz to to continue to do it. I think it would have happened if we would have gotten championship rounds we would have seen a baddest motherfucker championship, not a baddest motherfucker fight that we got. Yeah. I mean, I think you hit the nail right on the head. Uh, one of the things that like I'd heard about, like you said about Diaz is that he does uh, last really long in fights and he has that endurance. And I think Shay made a really good point because at the end of round three, you kind of looked at Jorge Masvidal and he, and he kind of had that look on his face of, I've thrown pretty much everything at this guy. I got him early. 
He's been bleeding. He's got a cut above his eye. This guy is just taking it. And, you know, he obviously has been trying, like you said, Lewis, and his fighting style was where he gets heavy on early on and just relentless pressure and just constantly fights. What I thought would have been interesting, and I I don't necessarily know if Diaz would have won because I think there was too much damage done early on by Masvidal. Right, but I do understand that Diaz does have that endurance. But the one thing I will say about Diaz that kind of bugs me about it is if you know that they're prone to stop fights because of an eye injury like that, and you get one early on, you have to kind of not plan for a four-round fight, five-round fight. You got to kind of end it early on. And I, that was one thing that I think Joe Rogan said afterwards that I really agreed with and kind of changed my perspective on it. But I still think it should have went four to five rounds. I don't think they should have stopped. I mean, even even going on with that, um, even as an experienced fighter, you know in today's age, uh, obviously when there's a lot of damage inflicted to any kind of athlete, um, people have to take precaution. Especially in the head area. Right, exactly. Exactly. And my thing is with Diaz is that I mean, it was that one big elbow that really sent it open, but Masvidal kept attacking uh, the face and the cut. Um, I think I think you can put a lot of the blame on Diaz, real uh, respectively, for you know what I mean, not blocking that cut, not finding a way. He to... didn't really keep his hands up like exactly, once he was cut. Exactly, like yeah. it's not like he was trying to you know what I mean, help that injury. Um, for like help that injury from becoming even worse than what it was. So I I don't know. I don't think it was smart by Diaz. Um I honestly expected him to be better than that from that perspective, uh just because he's such an experienced fighter. But um like you said, I, I think there may have been too much damage too early for Diaz to uh be able to turn it around uh later on, especially with all the blood pouring in his eye. I mean fuck he couldn't even see out of one of his eyes, like in a fight. Like, how are you gonna? You know what I mean? How are you gonna protect that, like that side of your face, if you can't even see out of that eye? Like, you can't see a hook coming from that side with blood in it. You know what I mean? Yeah. I mean, respectively, the cut probably was too big. The doctor stoppage probably was right, in my opinion. Um, I don't like to see it, obviously, uh, with the hype surrounding the fight and the new belt that was added. Um, <laughs> yeah, the belt is an interesting. It is. Thing. It's cool. Yeah. So can can we talk about the belt for a little bit? Yeah. I was uh, thinking. About I want to talk about the belt. So the belt is for the baddest motherfucker in the game. Uh that is irrespective of weight class. So in order to defend this, should Jorge have to move up or move down in weight classes, or like meet fighters to to accommodate what is like what this new belt is and what it signifies for the UFC because it's it's a new thing and. Well, that's interesting. Is it an actual belt? Because from what my understanding is that it's ju- it was just a promotional point for that they use for marketing. Right. But uh, so here's here's my confusion on that. Uh, they have both said that they will run this fight back. Uh, there have been other fighters saying that they want to fight for the baddest motherfucker belt in Colby Covington. He's uh, on record. As- yeah, that was one. Uh, so I mean, I, I remember this that. is something that, like, I mean, you can't just say one, like, this is a one-off. Like, these are the two baddest motherfuckers. Like, yes, they are two of the baddest motherfuckers. But right, I mean, and this wh- is something you kind of have to keep backing up. And why wouldn't you want to keep promoting that belt? You know what I'm saying? With all the publicity, correct? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Like, would there's no reason not to keep uh, the tradition of the baddest motherfucker uh, going? You know what I mean? Jorge Masvidal's next fight. You know, you know what I'm saying? Like, people are gonna attack him. Uh, specifically for that belt, just to give themselves a label. Because, honestly, the contenders in the UFC are so overlooked uh, by the publicity of the champions that they don't get a lot of uh, respect, um, realistically. So, I think I think this is uh, an extreme improvement for the UFC, uh, publicity-wise. Uh, just allowing these contenders to... Um, you know what I mean? Have have a belt to compete for, but at the same time, uh, obviously it's not a championship belt. So yeah, they uh, they say that uh, <clears throat> like being the champion is a, a popularity contest per se, and this is a real recognized, real yeah type of type of belt. Right. 
Yeah, I think Shay makes a really good point that I hadn't even thought about before. Is like it is a really good way. Like Masvidal basically just had one of the biggest fights we've seen, you know, in quite a while for the UFC. I feel like, especially with the hype surrounding it, and a lot. I mean, it was basically the talk of the night. Yeah, and even with a disappointing finish, it was still a lot of pay per view buys. I'm assuming so. Obviously, now a lot of people know about this belt, and so for this a next up and coming guy like a Colby Covington, say he doesn't end up taking. It doesn't he have a title fight against Usman uh, yeah, coming he has, up soon. Uh, he's fighting for the welterweight title. So, yeah. So say he doesn't even win that, yeah, and then uh, his consolation prize is he, you know, he takes back the the baddest motherfucker belt, and then all of a sudden now he's a household name just like Masvidal. Exactly. I don't think he will take it from Usman. I think that fight uh, actually happened probably. Um, I mean, I'm I'm excited for that one. It seems like yeah, because definitely. That'll be an interesting fight if we do get to see the matchup for sure. Uh, Kobe Covington's uh, reach, Masvidal have to step in and find a way to uh, get his strikes off. So, but all around, um, it was a very exciting fight. Um, other than the finish, but really, it was it was an all around good card, in my opinion. Um, obviously, Derek Lewis being on the card, it's always going to be a fun one. <laughs> But that was an awesome fight to watch, too. For sure. Definitely. I love watching the big boys do. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yep. They're excited. Rumbling, stumbling, bumbling. That's, a, that's another thing, too, though, about this whole belt thing. And you're talking moving up and whatnot. I mean, obviously, heavyweights have a shot at it. But you're not going to put Masvidal against a 265 guy. So at what point do you start distinguishing? Is there, a, is there like a weight class, of like a three set of weight class for the belt? Like, what is it? Uh, you have a heavyweight for the baddest motherfucker belt? Like, you can't have Masvidal go against the heavyweight, right. Right? Obviously, you can't have him go all the way up to heavyweight. But, uh, I mean, what, he's he's a welterweight, so I don't know, uh, a middleweight contender. Uh, Adi Asanya probably is not uh, worried about that. But maybe no. uh, a lightweight contender possibly, too. Yes, yeah, so maybe a, maybe a Gastelum, uh, per se. Uh, just in that next weight class up or that next weight class down. Uh, perhaps even a lightweight. I mean, Masvidal's a big guy already. Yeah. I think he could handle the weight changes. Uh, yeah. And going up one weight class or going down one weight class, I, I see in between there. Uh, and then if the next guy up wins it, then maybe a, a light heavyweight gets a shot at it. Right. It works like that. And my thing is with this is that I don't necessarily see – I don't necessarily see this uh, belt being a reason why contenders would move in between weight classes. Um, so I, I personally think this belt is going to stick in this weight class, uh, and it's a good weight class for it. Yeah, it it, it, it is a good weight class. And I think if they would want to expand it to the whole UFC, um, you know what I mean? Maybe give just like a significant belt to uh, one of the contenders in all of the uh, weight classes, uh, maybe every other. So it gives you, or or every other, that'd be a good idea too. Um, it would. It, w- it would just be interesting to see, you know what I mean, the matchups that that would happen uh, within the, each weight class if there were a BMF belt per weight class. But I agree. Yeah. All right. Well, uh, Tyler, uh, we just want to thank you for taking the time out. We know you're a busy guy. Uh, so do you have anything to uh, want to like say before we let you go or – Um, no, man, uh, just basically, thanks for having me. Uh, as always, I love listening to you guys. I'm glad for being a part of this and, uh, I'm looking forward to the next big fight like this where I can, uh, get really excited about. So have a great day, right, guys. Man, you too. Yeah, thanks, Tyler. All right. So now we're going to switch our focus to a little idea that we came up with last time. Uh, we're going to be giving you our number 10 top UFC fighter of all time. Uh, We're going to be giving you a countdown week by week until we get to our uh, number one fighter of all time in the UFC. So without further ado, uh, House, do you have a selection? Uh, Yeah, for number 10, I'm going to have to go with Rampage Jackson. Um, Obviously a dude that dominated the UFC early on um, in the UFC's history uh, when the organization when the organization was uh, just forming, 
Uh, he came in, he beat the likes of Chuck Liddell, um, people of that caliber. What I really like about Rampage, my favorite part about Rampage is his grappling. So he would get tied up in the clinch, standing up, and he would love to get um, in between the opponent's legs and pick him up and slam him to the ground. That happened a large variety of times. There were times where Rampage had, um, he was in a body triangle, but he was on top in a full mount. Um, oh, yeah, the power bomb. Yeah, he would pick him up, slam him straight down, knock him out just with uh, with a body slam. So, I mean, everything about, yeah, everything about the guy, he walks out with a chain around his neck. Um, he can knock you out in one punch. Uh, he's he did it his whole career uh, all around just terrific fighter and he's got to be my number 10 uh yeah so uh, it's interesting uh, cuz my number 10 kind of uh coincides <laughs> with the the uh, legacy of of your number 10 fighter yeah, it does and uh mine is uh Forrest Griffin uh he was one of those guys in the formative years of the UFC kind of when uh, Dana White yeah. and and uh the others took over the organization right. and made it is what it is today uh, he was the the Ultimate Fighter season one. He was the very first champion uh, mm-hmm. to come out of that, being coached by the likes of Chuck Liddell, uh, having to beat the likes of a Stefan Bonner in the championship of that to to become the the Ultimate Fighter champion. One uh, went on to become a coach himself uh, against your guy Rampage. Yeah. Uh, in yeah, oh the Ultimate Fighter. Yeah. yeah, dude, I think like that was one of the most iconic seasons of the Ultimate Fighter was Jackson versus Griffin. Uh, that iconic moment of uh, Rampage Jackson looking down the door because <laughs> he was so a, fucking tore pissed. down a whole-ass door. That was unbelievable. Uh, yeah, but, uh, I mean, winning winning the title, uh, the light heavyweight championship from Rampage Jackson uh, to yep. to cement his legacy as, as a light heavyweight champion to as so many other uh, others have. Right, elite caliber athletes uh, ran the light, or the light heavyweight for a long time, too. Yep. So he's in the likes of a lot of great... Talented fighters. And even losing to uh, the title to uh, Sugar Rashad Evans, uh-huh. uh, to his iconic fight with uh, Mauricio Shogun Hua. Uh, just all of those fights were really just uh, relevant to me in my formative years, watching it with my brother, learning any type of uh, technique that we could from them and like trying it out on each other. Forrest Griffin and Rampage Jackson alike are, <laughs> uh, are both really good, in, in my opinion, from my childhood and just everything about those fighters is what I've come to expect from the UFC and others have, have taken to their mold. Absolutely. Uh, so next, uh, Ben, the shit talker Askren, uh, as we covered recently, uh, <laughs> lost uh, his second fight in the UFC and is now contemplating uh, retirement. Uh, yeah, this is uh, interesting to me. So Ben Askren comes in. He is a very, he's a fairly old fighter. Uh, he hasn't predominantly fought in the UFC, obviously, because he's fairly new. He's four fights in. Um, he and two and two at that. Yeah, what 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 Asker wanted to do when he came into the UFC? He had dominated a few leagues, uh, so he he said, "I'm going to come into the UFC. I want to I want to create myself an opportunity to fight for a title." Um, so I do respect him for this uh, argument on his side that he's giving out. He says. I put myself in a position there where I wanted to be. Um, I did not succeed. He admits to it. He, I mean, obviously, he got knocked out and he lost fights. So he he didn't come in and dominate the UFC like he has other past leagues that he's fought in. Um, he did put himself in a fairly decent uh, position. Yeah, uh, position to earn himself a title shot. I mean. Yeah, I mean, like he came, he came into into the UFC like uh, guns blazing, uh, tapping out uh, fighters and and winning in dramatic fashion. And from what I hear around, like the the news of the UFC is like he's a likable guy. Yeah, I don't necessarily get that. I don't, I don't like him. I don't get I don't get that either. I really don't like him either. But from the stance that he uh, broadcasted on an interview, it does make sense. Um, where he's coming from. I am glad to see him lose and be humbled because I don't think his stand-up game is good whatsoever. It's not. It's uh, been tested and he's he's failed. And, I mean, he's proven now that he's a mild-ass grappler, uh, obviously losing on the ground. 
Well, in Maya's defense, he is a uh, world class uh, Brazilian jiu jitsu black belt. Right, right, but but I mean, yeah, it, it did it did humble him. Right? He thought he he ex- thought his shit didn't stink. Exactly. He, I mean, before all over social media, it was he's the best grappler in the world. He's the best grappler in the world. He got shown up, um, and I don't know. It really did humble him. He got put in his place. Uh, I'm happy to see uh, the talk of retirement. He said that it was an option. Um, he's thinking about it. Uh, so I, I kind of expect to see him retire. But then again, fighter's mentality, you never know if he's going to want to come back and maybe give it one more shot. One more loss, I would say, is a definite, definite retirement. I think at this point, right now, um, he probably will retire, but there is the possibility of him coming back still. Yeah, I'd, I'd, I'd like to see him fight one more time just so I can see him lose one more time, personally. <laughs> I don't know what it is about him, but like, there's just, I don't know, it's his face, the, the way he carries himself, but there's just something that I do not like about I that think, guy. I think it's just the way he carries himself. He just kind of comes off as a dickhead, honestly. Yeah, I don't, I don't know. But uh, we're going to turn our attention just slightly. We're going to cover this uh, here in about a week or two. But uh, the UFC 245 and, and the hype going on around that, there are three champions defending their titles, uh, four titles on the line, with uh, mm-hmm. Nunez being a, a double champion. Yeah, and that's, uh, that's impressive. Uh, I think, I don't like I said in previous podcasts, I don't think that anyone is going to end up taking this... Uh, title from Nunez. I don't think anyone can stand toe-to-toe with her unless there's a very um, very experienced and elite grappler that can hold her on the ground. And which, I think we may have found that in Jermaine uh, Duramney. Right. Uh, there's a lot of talk going on about her uh, and her mm-hmm. grappling game, and she's a powerful striker. She can take a few punches as well, uh, and uh, she holds a reach advantage. So, I mean, Nunez is going to have to be able to work inside, and, I mean, she's been able to do that. Thus far, yeah. but Duramdi is is a new beast, right? Uh, Nunez definitely has been able to work around reach advantages. Um, obviously, Chris Cyborg had a reach advantage on her and knocked her out standing up. Uh, Nunez is really good at stepping in on a fighter, uh, stepping in on fighters. Um, so I guess just to explain kind of what that means, that's where the opposing fighter has a reach advantage, so they want to use their length to their advantage. And if a fighter is able to step in, it means they can shorten down that length, step within striking distance, and just be able to connect and um, do damage to the opposing fighter. Yeah, and it's, uh, that is uh, crazy that this uh, fight isn't even a, a co-main event or, or the main event in, in a pay-per-view fight. Right. Uh, it's this, this very is unprecedented. Load, yeah, it's a loaded card for sure. Yeah, so I don't think that's ever happened but uh i mean just it's gonna be a great slate of fights uh with the likes of uh jose aldo uh fighting marlon Moraes and peter yan taking on uh the mm-hmm. california kid uriah faber uh in some in some main card uh matchups right and then those are lower main card fights too and those are still i mean yeah so those are some names that you really, that you've heard and yeah. that we know about we've seen them fight absolutely those are good fighters uh, and then the co-main event being between Max Holloway and Alexander Volansky. Uh, Volansky only having one loss in the UFC. Uh, looking to kind of raise up there in the featherweight uh, division. Try to make a name for himself. Mm-hmm. And, you know, he's, he's taking on the champ in Max Holloway. So uh, we'll, we'll, see, we'll see how that, how that goes. And then uh, we talked about it a little bit before. Colby, Coven- uh, Colby Covington and Kamara Usman. Yeah, that's going to be a really interesting fight. Obviously, Usman has been a big Showtime um, fighter. He's flashy. He ha- he has one punch knockout power. Um, but Colby Covington, uh, he's proved himself in the UFC. Uh, obviously, he's earned himself a title shot. Um, one loss, like we said, he's got fifteen MMA victories. Uh, he's got a slight reach ad- or dis reach disadvantage against Usman, uh, but. They're virtually the same age, uh, virtually the same height. It's going to be a really interesting fight. Yeah, uh, we look forward to seeing it. Uh, that is going to be on pay-per-view Saturday, December 14th. Main card starts at 10 p.m. But before we get to that, we're going to be looking ahead to Fight Night 163 in Moscow. All right, so Fight Night 163 is the UFC's attempt at Rocky Four. Uh <laughs> We got a lot of, uh, obviously it's in Moscow, Russia, so we have a lot of uh, Russians defending the motherland and 
a couple of uh, United States guys going up against them, as well as uh, one guy from the United Kingdom. And right. we're going to start with that. Uh, Danny Roberts versus Zalim Imadayev. Yeah, uh, Zalim Imadayev is uh, a relatively new fighter to the UFC. Um, in his previous fight, his debut, he fought Max Griffin, who is a fairly experienced fighter in the UFC. He's, he's been around for a while. He's lo- he's lost to Colby Covington, Colby Covington, but had went into the third round with him. So he lasted for a while. Um, Max Griffin's also beat people like Mike Perry, so he he's a fairly good fighter. Um, it's not it's not terrible to lose to him in your debut. Uh, it's this is just very important for a uh, bounce back fight. Um, Against a winnable fight. I yeah, think. it it is a winnable fight. Uh, I think I like Danny Roberts a lot. Um, obviously, he's got he's gonna have to prove something in this fight. He's gonna have to come out. He he has a wrestling background. Uh, he likes to mix it up. He can stand up and fight. It's it's gonna be an interesting matchup. So, if you want to touch on Roberts a little bit, yeah, saying uh, the reason I say this is a winnable <coughs> fight is uh, Danny Roberts. <coughs> is uh, coming off of a two-loss uh, fighting uh, skid, yeah. uh, with that last loss coming off of a another debutante uh, performer in uh, Michelle Pereira, uh, losing that via flying knee and subsequent punches. Uh, so yeah. he was knocked out in the first round of his, uh, of his previous fight. Right, and a lot of the times flying knees, um, they end fights extremely quick. It, like obviously the Askren Masvidal fight. Um, All right, it's a it's a powerful tool, but I mean like, you got to see that coming, right? right. Like, it, it takes a lot of time for that for that knee to come up. Uh, you have to telegraph it pretty well. You have to you definitely can't step from the foot that is the flying knee. Right. So, like you know where it's coming from. I I, I don't know. You it. Obviously, has caught has caught people before, but yeah, it just I feel like it's something you got to see coming. Yeah, my thing about that is pretty much like what I was trying to say is that a flying knee may not reflect the fighters fighting each other. So like if you land a flying knee, like for example, the Askren fight, like he really didn't even get to fight Masvidal. Like he, he didn't, had no like yeah, opportunity to I bounce back from Yeah, that. I don't think he would, I don't think he would have won in general, but you still didn't even really get to see the matchup it, with the fight ending as quick as what it was. So not to take anything, I mean, Danny Roberts lost the fight. It is what it is, but you know it's it it could have been a fluke. Um, it, it it's it's just hard to tell. And again, and we don't have much uh, tape on uh, Imadeev, but uh, with Roberts, you do, and you you kind of know what you're getting with this fighter. Uh, he has a takedown defense of fifty five percent, so he's he's defending more than he is uh, being taken down, but uh, still for. For a fighter who's going to be fighting somebody of a wrestling background and coming from a boxing rac- background himself, uh, you would like to see that be a little bit higher. Maybe, yeah, uh, definitely. Maybe in we can exploit 60, a, a matchup. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you'll want to see that in the 60-70% range when you're going up against a Russian wrestler. Um, for this matchup, I really... I like Imadov. Um the reason why is because of Danny Roberts' takedown defense. Uh, I think he's going to work this to the ground. I think that he's going to be able to control Roberts on the ground. Um, just, you know, with with his ability and his background, he, he just seems like he is going to come out and prove something. The fight's in Moscow. He's obviously not going to want to lose on his home right. grounds. They'll probably Hometown get, favorite. Yeah, he'll probably get killed over there if he loses. So, might not see him again. But, um, I like him for this fight. Just, I'm going to say either a third round decision or late second uh, th- or third round TKO via ground and pound. Uh... Okay, I'm I'm kind of with you. Uh, although I think Danny Roberts puts up a little bit more of a fight and keeps the uh, the fight standing for the most part, uh, at least in the uh, first round, early early, mm-hmm. early part of the second round, uh, I see him wanting to stand, trying to trade blows. He's a boxer himself, probably makes up a little bit of clinch work, uh, but he's not going to want uh, the fight to be on the ground. Right. That's where he's going. That's where his game is weakest, and. It's, Obviously, where uh, Imadeev, coming from a wrestling background, is going to want it to be. 
Uh, and I've been noticing a trend lately around uh, mixed martial arts uh, in general. But once they get it to the ground, like just submissions, uh, I think it's a late round submission victory for Imadeev uh, coming after uh, continual pressure shots early in the fight uh, finally wears down and, and gets through uh, Danny Roberts' takedowns. So I think we're in agreement. Yeah, we virtually agree on that fight. So uh, Imadeev uh, takes it. Yep, so we'll move on to the next fight, which is Alexander Volkov going up against Greg Hardy. This will be a good one. Yeah. Uh, again, my boy, we've been talking about him a lot recently, uh, and that's just because he came off of his no contest uh, controversial fight <laughs> and is stepping in for uh, Dos Santos uh, on the short notice fight to fight the number seven uh, heavyweight uh, contender in Alexander Volkov. Yeah, Greg Hardy's coming off that uh, big win against um, uh, the, the fight. Yeah, the fighter from uh, the gym of the blind, um, just a big dumbass that can't really fight at all. I don't even know how he got that fight. Honestly, it was embarrassing. But this would be a really interesting matchup. Uh, I think Greg Hardy's going to want to keep the uh, fight standing. Volkov, obviously, uh, another Russian wanting to with a wrestling background he's going to want to take it to the ground i think um i don't think he's going to want to stand up with greg hardy toe-to-toe although i do think that he could um even though he volkov's two inches taller they have the same reach advantage uh volkov has a slight leg reach advantage so look for volkov to um try and work the front leg of hardy and uh wear him down and then maybe shoot for a takedown and try and secure the victory on the ground uh yeah, I don't, again, I don't see this one really going to the ground uh so much. Although Volkov does uh per- possess that uh that tool uh that tool in his uh in his repertoire. Uh I don't see him wanting to do that. I see him uh, kind of welcoming Hardy into into the uh world of of real heavyweight UFC fighters, you know. Yeah, that's fair. Uh, He's a very young fighter. This is his fourth fight. He's squeaking in a fourth fight before the end of the year uh, because he's taking this one on short notice. And this right. is his first year in, in the UFC. Uh, his debut was all the way back in uh, February, I believe it was. Uh, so like, he's yeah. still learning. But he is progressing and he's showing that he has, uh, he has potential. So he's, he's taking this big step up in competition, fighting the likes of Ben Sosley in his last fight, all the way up to Alexander Volkov who has uh, fought and challenged Derek Lewis, uh, almost knocked him out, and, yeah. uh, but with Derek Lewis fashion, uh, came out with the one-punch knockout power that he possesses. But, I mean, Volkov was right there. Right. Uh, when, and so we're potentially talking about like a top-five heavyweight fighter yeah. against a, a first-year guy. Yeah, I like Greg, I like Greg Hardy. Um, I think he's similar to... Uh, Derek Lewis and their fighting styles, big heavy punchers, want to keep the um, want to keep the fight uh, standing up. But I am in disagreement with uh, the game plan from Volkov with you. I think Volkov, I think he's going to welcome the stand up game because he's more experienced. But I think ultimately he's going to want to end up taking the game or taking the fight to the ground, uh, just for the experience factor. And Greg Hardy obviously is comfortable standing up. Um, I think he's going to try and exploit Greg Hardy's weakness just because he is such a superb athlete in the octagon. Uh, he's much more athletic than Volkov, in my opinion. Oh, absolutely. Former NFL player. Exactly. He's got that athleticism. Too. So, I mean, I don't think Volkov is necessarily going to want to give Hardy the opportunity in those later rounds to knock him out standing up just because of the pure athleticism factor. Uh, I think he's going to be his veteran self and try and exploit the weakness of Greg Hardy. Uh, and another thing that uh, <clears throat> I I just remembered is, uh, did you hear Derek Lewis in his press in his uh, post fight uh, interview uh, um, on Saturday? Uh, I did. What uh, remind me? What did he say? So he basically called out Greg Hardy. So in the past, uh, Greg Hardy was I'm not sure oh, if he was right. convicted or or yep. what happened, but. Uh, domestic right. abuse case, uh, something that like <coughs> we're not going to condone. I don't condone, uh, and obviously Derek Lewis doesn't condone. But uh, he basically said he wants him out of the UFC, uh, and that he was going to personally put him there. 
So that's a potential fight that we're going to be seeing probably early next year, uh, depending on if Hardy gets hurt in this fight and needs a lot of time to recover. Hopefully he doesn't. Hopefully he wins this uh, so that the fight will gain that much more momentum. But, uh, yeah, he basically said that he uh, he wants him out of the fucking UFC and that he's going to be the person to put him there. Yeah, he um <clears throat> he took a shot at him saying some controversial things about Greg Hardy putting his hands on a woman. Uh, obviously, that's um, that's not acceptable whatsoever, even for the UFC being a high, you know what I mean, emotional league. Uh, you can't have that happen in any league or anywhere you know what I mean? Yeah. At no. all. So, um, I like, I like Greg Hardy. I want to see him win the fight, but I just, I just don't see him going into Moscow fighting Volkov, an experienced fighter with his young resume, um, Hardy's young resume and getting a win on short notice. Uh, I think Volkov's just too experienced to let that happen. And, I mean, even if you just look at the average fight time, Greg Hardy uh, fights on average last 7 minutes and 28 seconds. So his fights tend to end early in the second round, while Volkov's um, average fight time is 14 minutes and 59 seconds. So he damn near goes to the decision yeah. if they were all three-round fights. Exactly. Some so, of those are fives. Right. So. Some of those are five-round fights. So, I mean... Because, again, he has the, the experience. Exactly. The numbers are skewed, but... Uh, I I just think the experience factor is going to make the difference in this one, so. And I'm I'm kind of blending the world of sports here. <clears throat> uh, it takes a certain type of mindset to be a professional fighter, and it also takes a different type of mindset to be a professional uh, football player. Uh, and I think that the the underdog mentality that football creates, and like mm-hmm. having everybody say that uh like they're doubting you. I think right. this extra little push from Derek Lewis and he saying that he uh, wants to end his career yeah. uh, might give Hardy that extra motivation that he needs going forward into this week yeah. uh, leading up to the fight. So I think he takes it. Uh, I think he does it in a dramatic fashion. He added the head kick to his game. Yeah. That shit looks dangerous, yeah, bro. Yeah, that is dangerous. Um, yeah, I respect the opinion. Um, obviously, it's extremely hard to predict U- uh, UFC fights. So right, anything can happen. Exactly. It's just matchup based. They're going to have to feel each other out, and um, I guess we'll see what happens uh, this upcoming week. Yep, absolutely. Uh, co-main event, Greg Hardy versus Alexander Volkov. Uh, so then turning our attention, we have our main event of UFC 163, and that is Zabit Magashvaripov versus Calvin Katar. Uh, this is the Rocky Four matchup that I mentioned earlier. Uh, the Russian, the the favorite uh, in the matchup, and uh, Qatar, being uh, from the U.S., is the underdog in the welterweight weight class. Uh, featherweight weight class, sorry. Uh, and this is also uh, a rescheduled fight. They were uh, previously scheduled to fight uh, on UFC on ESPN six. Yep. Uh, but it was rescheduled due to conflicts, and they are now headlining this uh, main event. So we're going to get into it a little bit. Um, Zabit is currently ranked as, uh, as a top contender in the featherweight weight class, uh, number five uh, to be exact. And Qatar is uh, looking to move up in the rankings a little bit at 11th, uh, respectively. Uh, both looking to, to try to challenge for that featherweight uh, belt. Yeah, and if you look at Zabit's uh, history, he started in the UFC in 2017, um, got two victories in 2017, uh, went into 2018, got two more victories, 4-0 through two years, and then ended up getting a win this year over Jeremy Stevens, which uh, was a pretty impressive win. That was big time for him. Uh, that really put his name out there and... Um, Got him some publicity. He's 17 and 1. So he wins a lot of his fights. He has a wrestling background. Uh, just as every other Russian fighter, typically. Um, just as all the other Russians on this card, respectively. Um, this will be an interesting fight. Uh, he has a 2-inch height advantage. Uh, with a 1-inch reach advantage. 
in a two inch leg advantage over Qatar. And um, this is an interesting matchup because I think Qatar is going to have a lot of trouble here with Zebit. Um, just the wrestling aspect, I think he's going to want to take this fight to the ground also. I don't think this, I mean, with my predictions, this card is not going to be a very interesting card if you're into the flashiness of the UFC. Because I think there's a it's lot gonna of... It's going to be a lot more technical. Yeah, I think it's going to be a very technical card. I think there's a lot more experience. Um, I think Greg Hardy is obviously extremely flashy, but all these, all the Russians, they like to, you know what I mean, apply their pressure on the ground. Uh, they're always moving forward, uh, just chopping down um, fighters. So this would be this would be a good matchup. Uh, Qatar, he's, he's been fighting well. He... Uh, uh, Qatar's been fighting well. He's uh, he's on two fight win streak. His last uh, loss coming in April of twenty eighteen. Uh, he his last fight coming off of a knockout victory over uh, Ricardo Lamas. Uh, he's been fighting. He has a four and one record in the UFC. So he's yeah. again looking to make that name, trying to trying to move up in competition and and showing that he does lo- he belongs to be a top ten uh, featherweight fighter. Yeah, he's coming in at 20 and 3 also. So he's a fairly experienced fighter. Um I think that's going to play into his favor uh just for the longevity of the fight because I don't think it's going to be a big knockout uh first round knockout fight. And you don't um, expect to see that really much in featherweight. Yeah. Uh, uh, on average, tend to see submissions and and decision victories. Right. It's a lot more technical in in the lower uh, right, and those guys like they obviously they're they have massive power, but respectively to the heavyweight divisions, when you're talking about the flyweight at 155 pounds in comparison to the heavyweight at 260 pounds, and more. um, <laughs> yeah, and more that like that the heavy hands are just extremely different. There's so much more power going into it. Uh, that's why that's why people have always loved the higher weight classes, the light heavyweights, the middleweights, the heavyweights, um, just because they have that one punch knockout power. It's it's limited in uh, the lighter weight classes. Obviously, you'll get your people like um, Anthony Pettis, like Nate Diaz, like uh, like Conor McGregor, uh, Masvidal, um, Henry Cejudo, um, yeah. all those guys. Uh, so. I don't know. This is going to be an interesting matchup. Uh, go ahead and give your opinion. Let me think on it for a minute. Yeah, uh, so just off the bat, I'm going to give it to Zabit. Uh, he hasn't lost a fight since 2013. Uh, he hasn't lost a fight at all in the UFC. So he's he's made a, he's made a name for himself. He's made uh, big fights, big wins. He's very dominant on the ground, has really good grappling. Uh Qatar, though, on the other hand, uh, is a good grappler in of his in his own right, uh, and in his own craft, and is a, an experienced fighter. This will be his twenty fourth fight. Uh, he's a strong, durable guy. Has a chin. He's kind of slippery on the ground. Uh, I see Zabit being able to control him and and get in dominant positions. Uh, again, I don't see a a fight stoppage due to a TKO victory. If this doesn't go to decision, then I'm going to give it to Zabit with a... I'm going to even go a step farther. I'm going to say it's going to be an arm bar victory. <laughs> I was thinking the exact same thing, actually. I have Zabit uh, winning on the ground via submission. Um, if we want to get into it uh, in fine detail, I'm going to go with a rear naked choke victory from Zabit after ground and pound. So we'll see who's right with that hopefully it's a ground pound or hopefully it's a ground uh, submission all right you're going aerobic and I'm going joint yep uh, <laughs> either way submission cut off that airway yep uh this is the fight night 163 happening in Moscow this Saturday November 9th main card starts at 10 p.m. don't miss it we won't so that concludes everything that we have. Next week, we're going to be breaking down our uh, predictions for Fight Night 163 as well as look ahead at the UFC action and news as well as giving you coverage on UFC Fight Night 164. You've listened to Cage. I'm Lieutenant. 
I'm the house, motherfucker. We're out. Caged. Thanks for listening to this week's edition of Caged. I gotta say, being able to sit and talk to those guys about uh, that main fight uh, with Masvidal and Diaz was such an awesome experience. They really have gotten me really pumped for what uh, I've been watching recently, which has been the UFC. And I have both of them to thank over the years for their commitment to not only teaching me about it, but actually continuously, like, you know, reminding me of stuff that I may or may not have uh, been told before. Um, I mean, it was just such an awesome thing to sit down and talk to those guys. If you'd like to follow us, uh, give us a check out on Twitter at in white lines. And then you can also follow us on Instagram at white lines underscore podcast. Uh, we'll be posting stuff there and we'll be having lots of discussions on all that social media as well. If you like what you heard, please like rate and subscribe. And we look forward to hearing to you next week as the guys break down USC 163. Thank you very much. Have a great night.